Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 333, all threes, all the way across the board here for the Duke Basketball Report podcast. And it is absolutely not any irony that we have three, three guys on our team today talking about Duke basketball. And specifically, our main topic today is going to be the non-conference schedule. We have gotten our first peek at exactly who, when, where Duke will be playing basketball games this upcoming season. But first, I need to introduce the three of us. I, of course, am Jason Evans. I will be your host, your guide, your Sherpa through the wilderness of the DBR podcast this week. Joining me on this trek through the wilderness are Sam Klein and Donald Wine. Donald, how are you feeling this morning? Uh, I'm a little tired. I've been watching a lot of Olympics, as I'm sure all of you out there have as well. Uh, so it's been, we have a few more days of this, you know, late to bed, early to rise type of deal to watch a lot of the games live, but it's been worth it. But Jason, you mentioned in number three, the number three is important. It's not just my favorite shot in basketball, but it's also the number of Bojangles chicken sandwiches that I need Wendell Moore to send me now that he is sponsoring or, or is, <laughs> is getting paid, paid to be sponsored by the Bojangles chicken sandwich. I, I haven't tried it yet. So, and you know me, I'm a connoisseur of chicken sandwiches and I need that in my life. Yes. Yes. For, for folks who have not heard, um, this is sort of the first high profile, I guess, maybe high profile kind of name, image, and likeness opportunity that has been uh, signed by Duke player Wendell Moore is uh, endorsing Bojangles. Bojangles has also signed athletes from UNC and NC State. Um, they are clearly trying to blanket the entire state of North Carolina with athletes. They know not- their audience. Yeah, yeah. So and Sam, Wendell Moore, Wendell yeah. Moore is a Bojangles. Hi, I'm Sam Klein. I'm, I'm Hi, Sam. <laughs> Wendell Moore is a Wendell Moore is a is a North Carolina native. So we presume that this is this is not just an advertisement that he's getting paid for, but that he really feels in his heart is a company that he wants to endorse. And I'm with Donald. I'm I'm very supportive of Wendell Moore getting that contract. And I hope that he sends us chicken sandwiches. I also am a connoisseur of chicken sandwiches. I love fried chicken sandwiches. I think that it's one of the best things to come out of the fast food wars in the last couple of years is everybody upping their chicken sandwich game. So, Amen. so if, uh, if any of the, if any of the chicken companies want to sponsor us, I am very down for that. I'd be very happy to be, to be, uh, on that, on that sponsorship with Wendell Moore. Uh, hey, so guys, where do we stand on the chicken sandwich wars? Are we, are we Chick-fil-A? Are we, you know, Don? it's Popeye's. It's Popeye's. It's, it's <laughs> not, it's not even, a, it's not even, a, that's why I want to hear the Bojangles one, because I, let me tell you, Bojangles chicken can be much better than Popeye's. And I say that as someone who loves Popeye's, but the Popeye's chicken sandwich was a life-changing event that like it was, it, it was different. a, it's, it's, it's built different. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Yeah. I, I, I have, I have long advocated for the Chick-fil-A uh, chicken sandwich, but I, the Popeye's sandwich is just, it's just a cut above. And, and I tried recently, Popeye's just came out with the nuggets. We're going to get to the basketball schedule at some point here, but <laughs> Popeye's just came out with the nuggets and it's not the same. I need those two. It's not. No, no, no. You two. know what? Here's the thing. Uh, you want the chicken sandwich. It's not. Okay. I don't. I. I. I don't think the nuggets. Uh, like they're good, but I don't know what, why I would get them over the over the sandwich. That's just the, that's the just batter. The 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 fry. The batter. Whatever whatever that is and is Popeyes. surrounding the chicken on on the Popeyes thing. It's Ready? like yep. That that that's like produced by angels in heaven and delivered down to now, earth. Now now. I will say because I am a because I am invested in this whole thing that even though I find both KFC and Burger King to be lesser brands, they both recently came out with new chicken sandwiches, so I do have to try them. 
Burger King is owned by the same company that owns Popeyes. So, um, so mm-hmm. there is a chance. I, I don't have high hopes for, for KFC, but I have to give it a shot. Burger King, you got to give a shot to because it's the same company. Last thing on chicken sandwiches before we actually talk about what we're here for basketball. KFC, don't dismiss it outside of the country. If I get a KFC chicken sandwich, you know where I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it in November. Beijing. I'm going to the KFC. No, the KFC in Montego Bay, Jamaica, which actually has the greatest chicken on the face of the planet. And I'm not, and I'm not lying about this. If you go down there, check out the hot wings at the KFC in Mobe, and I guarantee you, you will come back and you will tell me, D, you were right. It is, again, a life-changing event. I and believe I see you. Jason's, I see I Jason's you. eyes. Trust me on this one. I've had, I've had KFC. I've had KFC in both China and in Israel. I can speak to this. Guys, when I go to a foreign country, I am not going to partake of a American fast food company. I'm sorry. Maybe that makes me a snob, but there's just no, I'm just not doing it. Look, it, look, when you are drunk in Jamaica, sometimes <laughs> you end up at KFC and sometimes your world is, is rocked. And, and that's what happened. That's how it works. All right. I'm the host. I'm in charge. <laughs> we, are, we are done. And I brought this on. I know this was my fault. <laughs> I asked you guys which one was the best. So I brought on the chicken wars. Um, but we are now going to put those in the rearview mirror because we need to actually talk about the basketball news that came out, which is that Duke released their non-conference schedule. Um, it begins with Countdown to Craziness on October 15th. And the last game of the non-conference schedule is Cleveland State. Uh, on December 18th. Uh, and in between, we have games against a number of big time schools and a number of small time schools. Uh, Donald, I'll, I'll come to you first. Impressions on the non-conference schedule. You know, I, I think I think we all kind of maybe hoped that Duke would throw in another high profile match there in addition to Kentucky, Ohio State, and Gonzaga. But, but those are the only three power five teams that we're playing. Um, give, give, me your, give me your take on the whole thing though. This is what I expected. I think when we discussed this a few weeks ago, the time is but a social construct at this point. But a few weeks ago when we discussed this, we briefly talked about the fact that it was just going to be Kentucky, uh, maybe Michigan State. And I know they were trying to work that out for the ACC Big Ten challenge, and that didn't work out. Uh, but then we have you know Kentucky, Gonzaga, and Ohio State. And that's fine because I think in the grand scheme of things, those are three really big games against what could be three top 10 teams. The one uh, showcase that we were we had known about was the one featuring army and Campbell. We thought that was going to be kind of like the Mayo classic that happened in early December, but this is going to happen over veterans day, obviously uh, with army, the pageantry of that, the, the link with coach K and it being their final time facing coach K and Cameron, that makes a whole lot of sense. The one thing I'm looking at at the schedule though, there is that, you know, normal break that we have between the end of the reading period for or classes for kids uh, on campus and the start of like Christmas break so that they can go take finals. But in the last couple of years, the ACC has put a game in early December, a, a, a conference matchup in early December. And there is a two week break between the game at Ohio state and the next non-conference game against South Carolina state. So I, I'm not going to say glad you mentioned that happen. Yeah. I, I'm not going to say expect that to happen, but there's, there's obviously a big window there, a two week window of which the ACC could potentially put a game there. So I, I would say look for that possibly to change and maybe have a game. I don't think two, but I think at least one game could be put in that little two-week window between Ohio State and South Carolina State. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of the other things that I noticed, the, the, the sort of gaps in the schedule. And 
and Duke does traditionally take a reading period break, an exam break, but it's not 14 days. Um, and that, that's what the current break is on the schedule. And, and I agree with you. I think that you're going to see an ACC game, um, probably not two, just one ACC game there at the very, very beginning of December. And by the way, it's going to set up a really interesting, very early season sort of gauntlet, so to speak, where we're going to have Gonzaga, Ohio State, and then an ACC opponent on, you know, in three consecutive games. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting test for the team. Sam, I'll, I'll come to you on this. What do you think of the overall quality of this non-conference schedule? Does it does it meet your expectations? Other than the three games that we knew that we were getting, as Donald mentioned, the Gonzaga, Kentucky, and Ohio State, I'm kind of disappointed. I feel like in years past, Duke has made a point of scheduling, um, even if they're even if they're smaller conference or, or, or lesser tier, lower tier conference teams, that they're scheduling the best from those conferences. And when I look at the the slate of eight teams that that are accompanying the the big names on this schedule. It's a lot of teams that ended last year ranked in the 200s in Ken Palm or in the high 100s. Only one school that went to the NCAA tournament last year, that's Cleveland State, and they ended the year ranked 169th in Ken Palm. So overall, I'm a little disappointed that Duke didn't try to schedule a little bit more aggressively in terms of getting, sure, you know, smaller conference competition, but at least get the best teams from there. And that the the philosophy I, I felt like for a while was schedule teams that Duke could be looking at, at facing again in the first round of the tournament or, or teams like that. And I don't feel like the schedule has a lot of those teams. It has a lot of teams that are that are closer to Duke. It's got Appalachian State. It's got South Carolina State. It's got the Citadel, um, uh, Gardner-Webb. These are all schools that are that are basically driving distance to Duke. Campbell, um, obviously, Army is a, has the Coach K connection. So it's a lot of those types of schools, but but not as much quality there. And especially for Coach K's last season, I'm a little disappointed that there wasn't um, that there wasn't a little more effort put into getting a few more quality opponents. And I get it. You want to rack up wins early in the schedule, but this is Duke. We're talking about like the team is good. They should be, I think they should be playing more good teams. And like, I'm, I'm uh, a little bit more disappointed. I think that Duke wasn't able to figure out how to schedule Michigan state. I think there was uh, there was some chatter a few weeks ago that that Duke and Michigan state couldn't get their, their schedules to line up or whatever, but like all these teams that Duke are playing, they're, they're basically just buy games. Like, can't you just buy out of them and, and get that Michigan state game on the calendar it's i mean i get it they have to sell season tickets they have to have um a certain number of games in cameron to be able to 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 get that revenue but there's got to be a better way to do it and and so i i do wish that the schedule was a little bit more competitive outside of that top three so sam i'm going to push back a little bit on what you had to say regarding the non-conference slate because uh, i i think on the one hand you're right these are not teams these are not top tier mid-major teams that 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 duke is is um is bringing into cameron uh, you know uh, you know I, we're not talking obviously about ohio state and kentucky and gonzaga Th those are a different story we're talking about the, the teams that, that duke had an option you know do we want to play this team or not and uh if you if you think that there are you know 350 or so teams in division one so you know okay right around number 175 or so is is where the the middle point, you know, the you know the top half of Division One college basketball is. I looked at the Ken Palm ratings of all these teams, as as you guys have as well. And last year, the only one of them, 
that was in the top half was Cleveland State, which was number 169. The Ken Palm ratings of these other teams, Army was 197, Campbell's 211, Gardner-Webb was 182. South Carolina State is 353. South Carolina State's literally one of like the bottom five or so like teams. Like one of the worst teams in Division yeah. One. <laughs> yeah. So, so, Sam, I will agree with you that Duke has traditionally sometimes taken on some better mid-majors. I mean, you know, and, and even occasionally lost to them. We, we, we've, we've seen it happen before. Um, the, the one mild pushback I'll give is, uh, I think, uh, by the way, Sam, you said only one of them made the NCAA tournament last year. App State also made the App State and Cleveland State both made the NCAA tournament. But um, well, then, yeah, minor correction. Uh, they made them as a, as a 16 seed Appalachian State did. So but I want to push back on this. I want to warn folks right now. Cleveland State is a legit team and, and mm -hmm. they are going to be a good. I think Cleveland State may be a top 100 team in the country. I won't be at all surprised at that. Uh, they, they like, like you said, they made the NCAA tournament last year as, as a number 15 seed, seed. They are super experienced. They're going to have a bunch of fifth-year seniors on their team. They added a transfer from Florida State, Nathaniel uh, Jack, who was a guy, he played about eight minutes a game for Florida State, but he's a, he's, you know, a legit ACC player who knows what it takes to win in the ACC. He's coming to their team. They, ever, they brought in another transfer, a guy from Pacific, who is a double-digit scorer for Pacific. Cleveland State is going to be a legit opponent for Duke, and I don't want anyone to overlook them. Um, so that's sort of my pushback on all this. There, there, there's going to be a game in here that that's going to that's going to be a challenge, and it's going to look good when when it comes time to sort of say, okay, you know, who has Duke played um, in the non-conference schedule? Donald, give me your overall assessment of it. Look, so I have a little theory, and this is just based on what they've you know been told. We've been told by. Dupin's basketball and sports information department about some of these games. Yes. I think you guys were hinting at a little bit where we have some teams that are from, you know, driving distance, close distance that, uh, you know, that can come to Cameron very easily. But I want to think about this. I think in this last year of coach K that they kind of looked at some of these mid-major teams who either have never faced coach K or haven't faced them in a while. Looking at the schedule, I'm, of course, army, set that aside, set aside the three big teams that we have in Kentucky, Gonzaga, and Ohio State. Appalachian State, they came in 2016, but before that, it was the 1980s, the last time they had played Duke. Campbell, the last time they played Duke was in 1997. Cleveland State has never played Duke at all. The Citadel, the last time they came was in 1993. Gardner-Webb, obviously, that was 2013. We were supposed to play them last year, but that game was canceled because of COVID. You also have Lafayette. 1977, the last time they came here. And South Carolina State, the last time they played Duke was in 1998. So not only did we not, have we, are we playing teams that are from somewhat close away, a couple hours, three, four hours away, we're playing teams that we have not seen in a long time or ever. So I think that was maybe, again, this is a theory, that part of the mentality was maybe get some of these teams in to get a chance to face Coach K and Duke before he retires and give them that opportunity as opposed to some of these teams that we have seen on a more regular basis. One fun thing on the schedule that I wanted to note, uh, best weekend to visit Durham for sports this fall, it seems like is going to be the weekend of November 18 and 19. Duke plays Louisville on Thursday night in football and on Friday night, they get Lafayette in basketball. So there's your, there's your, your double dip opportunity uh, to uh, to make a trip to Durham if you're not already going to New York for the Champions Classic or going to Las Vegas for 
um, for the game against Gonzaga, that would be the, that'd be the weekend to go to Durham. Yeah. I love it. We got to figure out our road trips guys. It's uh, it, uh, there's a lot of opportunities here and I'm, I'm sure everyone else is looking at the schedule and trying to figure out exactly when they can get, you know, get a chance to see coach K one last time. You know, part of the fact that these are not like high profile opponents it may make tickets a little tiny bit easier, maybe a little bit. I mean, I don't know. It's going to be. Don't talk about tickets no. being easy this year for Duke <laughs> no. basketball. There is there. This is a this is a seller's market. Yes, yes. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, men's and women's final four in the same location. We're going to be talking about a new study and what it could mean for the future of college basketball's championships. Stay with us. All right, we're back, and we want to talk very quickly uh, about something that came out just yesterday regarding the NCAA and the way it stages its uh, basketball championships. This was a 115-page report that was prepared in the wake of the, you know, just awful scandal regarding the way the NCAA staged the women's Final Four versus the men's Final Four um, during during COVID, just during this past year. And and I'm sure all of you remember uh, Sedona Prince. The, the female um, college basketball player who posted videos of, of the weight room that the women had for the, for the NCAA tournament that was a series of free weights that would have been embarrassing in anyone's basement um, compared to uh, a very extensive and you know, uh, amazing setup that the, that the men had. Um, and in the wake of that scandal where everyone said, this is just unfair, this treatment is not proper, the NCAA commissioned this report. Um, uh, again, like I said, it's 115 pages long. I have not read every page of it. But uh, to me, there are two main important takeaways from the report. The first one is the folks behind it, this law firm that, that looked into it and they interviewed tons of people and you know looked into all kinds of contracts and other things. They said that the NCAA should stage the men's and women's basketball championships, the final four in the same city. Um, essentially at the same time, you know, I, I don't know that you'd play all the games on the same exact same days, you might stagger them a little bit, but th they recommended staging the women's final four and the men's final four in the same city. The other interesting thing I think is that they said that they think the NCAA is doing a terrible job of monetizing the women's championship. They, the NCAA currently makes only $34 million per year from the women's championship and a bunch of other championships in terms of broadcast revenues. And, and, and they believe that the women's tournament alone it's going to be worth between 80 and $112 million in just a couple of years. So there's starting to be some serious money behind the women's tournament. And I think that's an interesting aspect of this report. But I want to specifically, guys, talk to you guys about the notion of the men's and women's Final Four being in the same place. Donald, you are a guy who travels to sporting tournaments, sporting events all the time, um, more than anyone I know. What's your thought on the notion of, of doing this? Think it's a good idea, bad idea? What do you think? Yes. And hell yes. Like, honestly, it is, it would be great. It's someone who in college, you know, when I was in school, we had two men's final fours and two women's final fours and they were on separate, separate cities. I was able to go to two of them, one men's and one women's back then the women's game was not as heavily advertised as it is now. And I think honestly, most people think that there's no crossover between fans of the men's game and fans of the women's game. I'm here to tell you that that crossover is a lot. That, that gap is not big. There's a lot of crossover fans who just loved watching basketball. And again, Jason, you were talking about the stagger of how 
the final fours will work. We already have that stagger in the scheduling. You know, you have the women's final four on Friday, men's final four on Saturday, women's championship on Sunday, men's championship on Monday. You, you put it all on the same court. You get, you can sell four tickets to, you know, one each day and make it happen because I think there's going to be people who go to all four games. If, and especially, and again, you have some teams and this happened a couple of times, right? Look at last year. Baylor won the men's championship and the women's championship and their fans had to pick which one they had to go to. If you have a team that has a school that has two teams that make the final fours in both the men's and the women's tournaments, you want their fans there. They're going to, they're just going to overrun that city. They're going to fill up all the hotel rooms. They'll spend all the money and they'll go to all four games. So I think that is what you're looking for. And really putting the women on the same stage, as the men makes a lot of sense. It's long overdue because they, their games are just as great. I watch almost all of the women's tournament just as much as I do the men and traveling to these games will make it a lot easier if you give them the investment and make it where they feel like that that tournament is worth something going to. And I think if you put it together, that's what's going to happen. You'll find a lot more fans that are already fans of the women's game and they just needed a reason to be in the same spot. And then you're going to win some new fans too. So win-win. You know, you know, there is pomp and circumstance and pageantry and all kinds of other craziness that goes on around the Final Four, around any major sporting event. Um, you know, there's all this ancillary stuff in terms of marketing activation for, for shoe companies, for apparel companies and, and other, you know, companies that have big advertising deals. There you know, they're just all kinds of things that happen around a, a big sporting event like that. By bringing the women's Final Four to the same place as the men's Final Four, you're going to have A, a little bit more of that, and B it's going to elevate the women's tournament because it's going to feel like a bigger deal. And I think that's a great, it's going to be a great boon to the women's game. And that's good for the NCAA. Uh, the NCAA should want the women's tournament to grow. They should want women's basketball to get better ratings. The, the end result, if it, if it becomes bigger and more important and more people pay attention to it, if the, you know, if the sports reporters who are all going to the men's final four are also watching the women's final four, that's a good thing for the NCAA. It, it's kind of amazing to me. They haven't thought of this until now. Sam, where are you on this? I, I think it's a good idea that there is a, uh, a little bit of a logistical challenge, which is that typically the, the men's tournament sells more tickets. Like the men's tournament plays in a football stadium and basically sells it out where the women's tournament is not played in football stadiums. So I don't know how you would square it. Like, I don't know that they would want to play in the same arena, but you can be in the same city. Like if you did this in Indianapolis, which is where the NCAA is headquartered and, and where they, they tend to play the final four fairly often, you have the football stadium and the basketball stadium very close to each other. You have a very similar setup in, in San Antonio. You're going to have a similar setup in Los Angeles once the, the whole Rams complex is, is up and running. So there's going to be cities where, where this is not. I'll tell you Atlanta. Uh, we, and we've Atlanta, got, yeah, Atlanta, we've got, where, where we've got everything is Mercedes downtown. Mercedes-Benz Stadium is right next to where the Hawks, uh, you so, know. To Phillips, it, exactly. Yeah. So so there are plenty of opportunities to to make this work. And there are cities where you could have the way that Indianapolis was activated for the Final Four this year and, and where they had, you know, all the, all the complexes all connected with each other. Um, Minneapolis, I think, has a similar setup. So there are cities to do this in where you could play in different arenas. The other aspect of this that I think is good. So that's a, that's a challenge. They'll work through that. One of the other things that's good about this that I don't think either of you touched on is that the final four is also a big sort of networking event 
for power brokers in college sports and in, and, and in basketball, not just college basketball, but like lots of people that are invested in basketball go to the final four. And if, if the NCAA and if, and if the power brokers of the sport want to seriously say that they are, that they are promoting equity in the women's game and, and trying to, trying to elevate it to, to your point, why not bring that big conference all into one place? Cause there's no other time of year when all the power brokers in, in college basketball get together, except at the final four. And if you are, you know, let's say it's, let's say it's Baylor or Connecticut or, or one of these schools where they've got perennial contenders on the women's side. If the, the AD and the coaches and some of the support staff are going to the women's tournament, they are missing the men's event and they are missing the networking opportunities. So I think it's a great thing to have them in the same place so that you can have more of that, more of that cross-pollination and, and actually promoting equity across the sport. So one thing about the women's game, you're right. Right now they're being played in NBA arenas, the final four, but before they were being played in football stadiums too. The one I went to in 2002, 2003, was at the Georgia Dome and the men's final four was at another football stadium. Now the configurations were set up different, but you still had 30,000 people go to that game. And I think also that was with no advertising whatsoever, no pageantry behind it. Just, Hey, the women's final four is here. That was it. Whereas the NCAA tournament for, for the, for the men, we know where the final fours are years in advance, where they're going to be. People can make arrangements years in advance. So if you market it, just the same as the men and you market in the same city. Hey, you're going to have two championships. You have a chance to come to new Orleans and watch two champions get crowned two nets, get, get tear, uh, get ripped down. Like those are sort of things that what the women's game is asking for more marketing, more promotion, more, you know, more gusto behind it and more resources to make it where their event feels just as pageant feels all the pageantry that the men's side does. And I think if you put it together, that will come and you won't have to worry about putting it in Mercedes-Benz Stadium and then Phillips. You can, you can put it in, both of them put them in the Benz. And, you know, maybe the women's game will have 40,000 and the men will have 70, but eventually that will get closer and closer to 50-50. Well, and, and uh, two other really, really quick things, and then we can wrap this up. First one is, this is a moment where the NCAA needs to be thinking about ways of making the other sports that are not basketball, I'm sorry, that are not football, more important um we 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 uh, we're, we are seeing conferences tearing themselves apart and we've sp spoken about it on this podcast uh, the big 12 you know is is in absolute disarray because of football and the more the ncaa can make other sports valuable the more it can maybe hold itself together um so elevating the women's game elevating women's basketball you know, maybe, maybe that makes Baylor a little bit more valuable. And as a result, maybe, you know, Baylor and, and the big 12 are able to, to hold things together a little bit more. And they were also talking about, this isn't just for, you know, basketball, men and women being the same site. They also recommended that the softball world series also be at the same, you know, in the same general site as the college baseball world series, because again, you have crossover of fans and you're asking them to basically pick between one site and another. And they're basically saying where these sports have fans that cross over, put it in the same spot and they'll come to both. Uh, because right now they're being asked to choose and you're saying, Oh, we'll just go to the, you know, the, the gravitas is towards the men's game. And it's because they're not promoting the women's side at all. If you put it in the same spot, they'll come. And the off days are already built in so that the men's final four has to rent out the, all these facilities for yeah. that, 
that four day period anyway, of which they're playing two times when, when no one's on the court or there, or there's nobody, you know, they're not using the, the court all day. So it might get a little more challenging where the men don't get as much time on the main court to be doing walkthroughs, but they can handle it. And, and I think for the sake of the sport and for the sake of the NCAA and the colleges, I think it's a great idea. Hey, hey would you guys want to see the men's and women's final being played on the same day as a doubleheader? The only, no. so I was thinking about this and the only reason you wouldn't want it is that it, it takes too much time to play the championship game. Like if you, if you schedule them, like normally if there's a, if there's a doubleheader, like on ESPN, Duke plays at like, if, if Duke plays, they're supposed to play at nine, but the game is scheduled for 7 PM. And then the Duke game game doesn't tip off till nine 45. I think you'd have trouble with that because you'd have to have uh, everybody like on the court doing the, the pregame stuff and the post game and the, and the trophies and everything. So I wish it was possible on a weeknight where they could do prime time for both. I just don't think there's enough actual time to do it. If they did the games on a Sunday, it would be amazing. So for me, I think the reason that I don't want it on the same day is because I think every champion deserves their own day in the sun. And I think that having, you know, yeah, having them both on the same time, whoever's first gets overshadowed by whoever ends the night. So you want it where the women's champion has their day, the men's champion has their day. And again, the schedule's already built in where you have those days where you can make it, where each, each champion gets the chance to tear down the nets and stay on the court and rival in the confetti and all the, all the things that come with being a champion and do it as long as they need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just tossed it out there and uh, no, I, I, I think you're right. It's good to think about. And, and it's a good question. Yeah. For logistics sure. They're going to have to work through. So. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, we're going to wrap up, but really, really fast. We do want to very quickly mention after all the hand wringing, after all the angst um, and, and, and frankly, we, we exhibited some of it here on this podcast uh, regarding the USA men's basketball Olympic team. Uh, they, they looked up this morning and found themselves beating the pants off of Australia. Revenge game. Australia, one of the teams that beat them um, in the, in the pre-exhibition, whatever you want to call it. Um, and now we have the ultimate uh, revenge game, USA versus France. Uh, the, the team that beat Team USA to start the Olympic experience, that's the team we're playing for the gold medal. Um, and should they win, suddenly all these losses that happened uh, a few weeks ago will fade into memory because uh, we will be looking at another gold medal for Team USA, uh, at, led by Kevin Durant, who has been outrageously good. Uh, guys, any comment? Sam, I'll come to you first. What, what, what are you thinking about um, USA basketball and, and that, that butt kicking they put on the Aussies? Well, I, I hope that the final sort of mirrors what happened in the NCAA tournament this year, where one of the teams coasted into the final, that would be Baylor and, and in this case, USA. And one of the teams is sliding into the final on the back of a thrilling overtime victory. That would be France. And, and in the NCAA championship, that would be Gonzaga. And then we saw what happened with Baylor and Gonzaga in the championship. I hope the same thing happens for USA over France. We know that France is, is, uh, not the favorites USA, I think are probably always going to be the favorites, but France has an incredible team. Uh, they, they've got, they've got some real, they've got a bunch of NBA superstars who are on that team. And, and that game against Slovenia this morning was awesome. So, you know, obviously highlighted by the fact that Slovenia features Luka Doncic, but, um, but uh, I hope that, that USA have got their, uh, got their heads in the right place and that they're, and that they're ready to go against the France team that they know is good. This just leads me to believe that Jason Tatum, you know, former Duke all-star listens to this podcast because they basically have done 
some of the things that we were talking about about a week and a half ago, and we were you know kind of worried about the state of of the program. They kind of turned all that around. And even last night against or this morning, I can't even remember what time it was this morning uh, when this game happened. The first half was actually back and forth. And Australia had, you know, was out by about a 10 point lead. And they, the had, a, US they, had, they had a 15 point lead in the first half. Yeah. And, yeah. and the in the in the U.S. caught up and they they had that grit. They had the determination that we talked about that they should have. So uh, thank you to Jason Tatum for sharing the podcast with, you know, all the rest of his teammates and the coaching staff, because it's clearly worked. And. We're looking forward to them right in the ship and, and getting back on that podium as gold medalists. And also shout out to the women. They are in the semifinal uh, and they will be playing Serbia uh, tomorrow, or I guess at 12, 10 Eastern time on Friday morning uh, for a shot at gold. They have been looking awesome this entire tournament. I don't expect that to change. And one final note, each team, the men's and women's basketball team, and for me, the women's soccer team in the last 30 hours have played Australia, all three of them won. So shout out to the Aussies. Sorry, that's how it works in this game. Yeah, yeah, sucks to be Australia playing the U.S. in, um, in a major sport in the past few days. Uh, and by the way, um, Sam, I, I, you alluded to the the line. Um, I, I, let me let me ask you guys. See if you can guess. You, the U.S. is the favorite over France for the championship game. See if you can guess what the line is. The point spread, Sam. I'm going to go with USA by six. Donald, what you got? Three and a half. Gentlemen, the line is USA by 11 and a half. All right, that's let's get it done. That's a big number. Get 11, it done. That's, that's a big number. That's I'm glad I'm not Vegas because I would not bet on that. Wow, I don't know. that's I, a lot. I, I think I'd probably uh, – Team USA looks away, like – they, they look pretty good the past few games. I stay away from, I would stay away from all this gambling. So uh, <laughs> I, my, my recommendation as always on sports gambling is to stay away. <laughs> it's fun, man. It's fun. There's never a, bet there's on your team nothing like because never bet on your team because you always end up disappointed. That's my rule. Well, I was just going to say there is absolutely nothing like sitting in a Vegas sports book the first weekend of the NCAA tournament with that a is bunch, a good time with a bunch Facts. of five dollar bets on just you know like weird uh, you know seven ten games and stuff like that. You know, oh, I got I got the over on the uh, on the tw- the five twelve game happening at three o'clock. Man, that is so uh, that is a good time. It is a lot of fun. I like okay, it. but that's going to wrap it up for us here on episode 333, 333 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Donald and Sam, thanks for joining me. I am Jason, and here is the Duke Band to play us out and take us home. Um, there was only one of these teams. Cleveland State was number 169. Hello? What is this phone? What is this phone? Jason, where's, where's that phone from? 1997? Yeah, this, this, this is old phone. <laughs> did you get it phone. with... Wait, did you get it with... Oh, it's not the shoe phone. I was going to ask if you got it with your yeah, Sports it's, Illustrated it's subscription. The, uh, no, it's the, uh, it's the Sports Illustrated football phone. Yeah. <laughs> you going to show us your... Wait, what was that? Was that your calculator you have there? No, no, that was the phone. The phone. Oh my god! <laughs> I didn't know it's you like lived a in ho- a hotel. Yeah, you stole that from a hotel. That's where you got. It. <laughs>